some people are interested in getting into recording, which often requires arranging if you're not going to do an acoustic version of your song that is just your main instrument with you singing. And sometimes I think people find that to be somewhat intimidating and understandably so, especially when a lot of the songs you might hear on the radio or wherever you listen to music now, because let's be honest, none of us listen to the radio. We're listening to things like Spotify, but wherever you listen to music, Chances are there's a lot going on in those songs, so it can seem super overwhelming. So in this episode, we're just going to talk about a simple but effective arrangement. I'm going to give you all the different pieces if you just do these pieces or some version of these, at least as a starting place, that will get you a full arrangement that will at least be a great start. Let's talk about it. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Joseph Vidala. Pleased to be talking with you today. I know that you took time out of your day, whatever day it is, to listen to this podcast, and I appreciate that. I appreciate you, and I appreciate the fact that you want to learn about songwriting, or today specifically, I guess, a little bit more arranging and recording, that side of things. But I do appreciate that. I know I usually say that at the end of podcasts and at the end of videos, but want to make sure I say it at the beginning because, hey, I don't know, maybe you don't stick around till the end. So figure I would cover that up front. And today we're talking about arrangement, but the first step in songwriting before arrangement usually is actually writing the song. And no matter how good our arrangement is, if the song itself isn't good, if we're not writing enough songs, then it's all going to be for nothing. And it all starts with having a great song. And at least for me personally, one of the best ways I've found to keep my creativity going and keep writing songs that I can feel better and better about rather than getting constantly stuck in creative ruts has been to change up the different starting places and the different ways I start my song instead of just always going to say the piano or always going to the guitar with going to the same instruments starting from the same standpoint I found it really helpful to actually change up how I start my song uh, and if you want that as well, I have a free guide it's a songwritertheory.com slash free guide about 10 different ways to start writing a song that has five from a lyrical standpoint and five from a musical standpoint. So whether you like doing lyrics first or music first, there's going to be five ways for you. I recommend doing some of both, combining the different ones. Um, but if you're interested, songwritertheory.com slash free guide, link in the description. But today we are talking about making a simple but effective arrangement. So this is really geared towards if you've either never had to do an arrangement before, so maybe you're a person that up until now you've sat with your guitar or your piano or whatever your primary instrument is that you usually use when songwriting, you sort of figure out the chords or maybe the hook or part that you're playing on your instrument, right? Because it might not just be chords. It might be a cool piano riff that you've written or something else other than just plain old chords. But you kind of stop there, right? You have your vocal, you have your main instrument. So what you really have is a song that you're ready to go perform solo, perhaps, but you don't necessarily have what you would need to write or to record a full version of your song, right? You have enough for an acoustic version, perhaps, or a solo version, however you want to look at it, a singular instrument with your voice, but you don't have enough to write a full band version 
arrangement of the song. So today's episode is mostly geared towards that. I think it will be helpful too if you've done arrangements in the past, but this is mostly geared towards if you are a beginner in that area. And I'm going to talk a lot about recording and arranging in the context of recording. And the reason for that is because to me, anything that we talk about for arranging that is geared towards recording would also apply to for doing it live. And really, there's two reasons that you would arrange your own song. It's if you're recording it, or if you're figuring out the different parts for people to play when you're playing it live with your band, right? There's there's not really another reason to arrange it, right? Why, Why bother? You have enough to copyright your song. You have enough to give your song to somebody else for them to record it and them to arrange it. So those are really the two main reasons. And if you can arrange for a recording, then I think you can arrange for live because live is going to be a simpler version because you have fewer instruments, right? You're probably going to have a bunch of instruments in your recording, but you're probably not going to when it comes to live. You're probably going to have just, you know, four or five. So let's dive right in. First thing, main instrument. So main instrument, at least the way I see it, is likely the answer to the question. If you were to perform this song solo, what instrument would you be playing? Right? So... This is probably the instrument that you wrote the song with. Probably. Not necessarily, but this is the instrument that probably, even in the fully recorded version, the it would be in the intro of the song. It would be in every verse of the song. It would be in every chorus of the song. This is the instrument that's not dro- dropping out. right? Drums may come and go. The bass guitar may come and go. But what's that main instrument that is there from the very first measure all the way till the end? That's your main instrument. And another way to think of this, too, is you can usually kind of hear what the main instrument is when you listen to a song. So, for example, uh, let's take piano first. Examples of songs where the piano is the main instrument would be something like A Thousand Miles by Vanessa Carlton. Most Coldplay songs back in the day, uh, they're modern ones, definitely not as much um, because it's all synths now. But... Uh, clocks being a perfect example of that is very clearly the main instrument is the piano, right? Everything revolves around the piano in that song. 100 Years by Five for Fighting, uh, most early Frey songs as well, the Frey songs, so like How to Save a Life, for example. And then, you know, acoustic guitar-centric would be most of your other pop rock acts. Um, so... Goo Goo Dolls would be a great example of like pretty much all their stuff is very much centered around specifically the acoustic guitar. And in that case with Goo Goo Dolls, it also is usually one in a open tuning, but that part's not really important. So it's likely going to be the instrument that you would play when playing solo, and it's likely the instrument that goes from the beginning to the end of your song. Now, when we talk about arranging... I think there's a really good chance that this instrument, when you wrote the song, was already, quote-unquote, arranged. So you probably wrote the song with maybe coming up with the piano riff or piano hook first, right? You might have come up with a cool piano hook and been like, ooh, I should make that into a song, and then you wrote a song off of that. So you already have your piano hook. You already have the arrangement. 
But it also might be the case that you sort of were just trying to figure out the underlying chords with a song, but there's not really a part that you play, right? So maybe, for example, you just sort of did one strum on the acoustic guitar and sang a measure's worth, and then you try to figure out the next chord, okay, C chord, and then you strum. But you don't even have a strumming pattern. You don't even have a rhythm yet. In those cases, then you're going to want to start with arranging your main instrument. Most of the time, you're not going to have to do this, right? Most of the time, you're probably all set. I think the way most people songwrite is they're effectively writing the one instrument, their main instrument, while writing their vocal. But good places to start with this is especially in the verses. The verses are the place, in my opinion, that you should go a little over the top with making sure your instrument part is interesting or at least perfectly fits with the vibe that you want your song to have. And I make that clarification just to say that I don't want to give the impression that it's necessarily the case that you need to have a memorable piano hook or riff for it to be a good part during the verse, right? There are plenty of all-time classic songs that have basic piano block chords, and that's perfectly fine, right? But it does need to go with the vibe of the song. Some songs fit better with a riff, right? Can you even imagine clocks without that distinctive riff? Probably not, right? That It almost makes the song. In fact, most people don't even know what he's singing in the chorus. For what it's worth, it's you are. You are. <laughs> that's all it is. Uh, but you do remember the piano riff. So that's not n necessary, if your guitar part is just you strumming guitar and no finger picking, no hammer-ons, no, you know, interesting little hook riffs that are kind of thrown in with the chord progression, that's totally fine as long as it fits. And the main thing here is probably in your final arrangement, your main instrument is going to have to carry the harmonic weight during the verses, much more so than in the chorus. And what I mean by that is in the final arrangement, when thinking practically, there's going to be a lot of instruments playing, which we haven't gotten to, but in the chorus, right? So if you think of the chorus, it sounds quote-unquote bigger. What does that usually mean? Well, there's usually more instruments playing and the vocal's louder because the vocal's usually higher. There's more going on, right? So that means by necessity, one instrument is less focused on. The other side of that, though, is that means in the verses, that's usually where the instruments are highlighted. If you think about it really practically, a lot of songs that you know start with acoustic guitar, by the time you get to the chorus, the acoustic guitar is often buried beneath a bunch of electric guitars or synths or just a wall of sound that you can't quite tell exactly what instruments are going into it, but it's a little bit buried, right? But then when it gets back to the second verse, you probably can hear that acoustic guitar again stick out a lot more than it did in the chorus. Same with piano, right? So if you if you, if you you take songs like How to Save a Life or 100 Years by Five for Fighting, those are mixed and arranged in a specific way where you really can hear the piano throughout Um Vanessa Carlton's A Thousand Miles might be a slightly better example of this where the piano starts to get buried in the chorus. Um, but they certainly are m much more easily identifiable in the verses, right? So where your main instrument's going to be more identifiable is where you would want to target, hey, let me make sure the part is interesting here. Because if, let's just say your chorus, 
is, you know, piano and four electric guitars and a bass guitar and an acoustic guitar and drums. How interesting the piano part is probably isn't going to matter because you're not really going to hear the piano part. You're just going to kind of hear all these parts coming together and when each one has its transient, which has its transient is really just the beginning of the note, right? When, when you strum on a guitar, when you hit a piano key. So the intrigue is going to come from that. And then, of course, the fact that in theory, the vocal part, it's peak, it's highlight. The best part is the chorus. So it's usually the verses where you want your main instrument to concentrate on it being a more interesting part. I don't want to go so far to, as to say your instrument, your main instrument part in the chorus doesn't matter. I think it does matter, but it does matter less. I think it matters less, um, at least in the context of a full arrangement. In an, in an acoustic arrangement that is just meant to be you and your instrument singing, that's less true. All right. So you have your main instrument, which in all likelihood you wrote from the beginning and at, at best right now you are making adjustments, right? You're adding some hammer-ons to your chord progression. Maybe you have a little finger-picking part or maybe you add, you know, you pick a few notes in between you strumming chords, whatever it might be. What's next? Especially let's just assume here that we've also recorded this part because a lot of times our arrangement is going to be done Again, it's either with our bandmates, right? Like, hey, you, try, try this. Okay, the chord here is a D major chord. And then we're going to go to an E minor chord. Right, so you're either talking out with your bandmates or you're recording it into a DAW. Maybe you're writing it physically on paper, but there's probably like two people listening that are doing that. And if you are, cool, that's awesome. Um, but if you've ever found yourself frustrated by it, I highly recommend going to recording instead. Um, it's more rewarding, it's quicker, you don't have to write everything out, and you actually have a product that people can listen to at the end, unlike, you know, just sheet music, which, you know, it, it does allow people to play it, but it is what it is. So, let's assume you're recording it. So you've recorded your main instrument, which, by the way, little extra tip here, if you can't stand playing with a click track, because a lot of people don't want to record because they hate playing with a click track. Totally understand. Click tracks are super annoying. If you don't know what a click track is... Basically, it's just a metronome in your DAW, right? So it's this really annoying click sound to keep the beat. The easy workaround is to just have a basic kick and snare drum that just does the very basic rhythm. This isn't going to be the final drum part, but just have something that goes dun 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 if it's 4-4 four, four time, and if that vaguely fits the vibe of the song. And then it will be much easier to play along with that, much less irritating. And then you can go and actually record real drums later. But that can be helpful when recording your main instrument so that you don't want to shoot yourself because it's super excruciating to listen to a click track. So what's next? Next, I think, are the electric guitars. This doesn't mean you have to record these next but we're going to talk about these next. And this is the, the biggest category because this is really the only instrument we're going to talk about where I would argue it's not just one instrument in the context of an arrangement or a recording. Practical way to think of this is if you have a four-piece band, what does it probably look like? It probably has a lead singer that also doubles as 
a guitarist. Whether it's acoustic or electric or you change between them is vague, but you're probably the rhythm guitarist as well. You might be the bass guitarist, but you're probably the rhythm guitarist most of the time. And then you have another lead guitarist, and then you have a bass guitarist, and then you have a drummer, right? So there's two guitars, one bass, one drums. If you have a five-piece band, either you probably added the piano or you added a third guitar, right? There's never two bass guitars in a band. There's never two drummers in a band. When I say never, by the way, I'm sure they exist, but you know what I'm talking about. And 99 times out of 100. So when you think about layering in more parts, it's usually going to be electric guitars. And usually in final recordings of songs, the parts that get recorded, that just, you know, there's layers and layers of them is going to be electric guitars or synths. And what we're going to talk about here, some of these parts you can, if you're maybe into electronic music or you want a mix or you just want the mix to sound a little less like rock and a little more, you know, like modern pop, then a good way to go is to swap out some of these parts I'm talking about with doing the same idea, but just using a synth instead of a guitar. That being said, where to start with electric guitars? If you want me to make this really simple, you have recorded your acoustic guitar part. That is your main instrument. What do you do now? What you do now is you go to the chorus, and in the chorus, you want to have power chords to start. Now, what effects you have on these power chords and how often you play them, right? Do you just strum once and let it hold until the next chord comes, and then you strum once and let it hold until the next chord comes? Or are you doing, you know, a da-na-na-na pattern, right? Like s something where you're kind of driving home, or maybe you're doing something faster, like it's a punk song. All of that is going to depend on, you know, the vibe you're going for. Generally, really fast, all downstrokes is going to sound punk-like. If you just hit the chord once and let it ring out, that sort of has a grandiose sound that doesn't necessarily sound as rock-like. Not all the time, but... Um, Really figuring out the right way to do the rhythmic element of this is going to depend on your song. But I would argue most songs could benefit from power chords in the chorus. Now, if you want to not sound as much like rock, you might want to not use distorted electric guitar power chords. You might want to use clean sounds. You might want to use maybe a reverb sound, maybe slight overdrive in an otherwise clean guitar. Play around with these sounds. Try to figure out what works with your genre, with your sound the best, right? And also mixing it up can be really helpful. I like to have different layers. Some tend to be distorted. Some are more clean. Some are overdriven. And all the different sounds layer together to really create this wall of sound guitar. But we're keeping it simple, so we're not going to dive any deeper into that. So really simply, what should you do? Record the power chords twice. One is going to be panned to the left, which means basically playing out of the left speakers. One is going to be panned to the right, which means playing out of the right speakers. And you're going to record it twice. Just the power chords of, you know, whatever the, your chord progression is in your choruses. Because that alone is going to make it sound bigger, right? So you're playing just acoustic guitar, and then if you just hear two electric guitars playing power chords coming in, right? That makes the song bigger, 
which is usually what you want in your course. And if you have at least two, that's a good start. Now, if you want to layer in more, I think you certainly can do that. Just don't layer in more and more that are all playing the exact same chord in the same spot. So for example, let's say you want to have four instead of two. You do want it to be an even number probably so that you can have you know pairs, one to the left speaker, one to the right. So two, four, six, eight, that's what we're looking for. If you want to have four, something else you can do is do power chords, but do them in a different pitch area, right? So if you did a low E power chord, which on a standard tuned electric guitar is going to be the lowest power chord you can do. In your third and fourth parts, don't play it there. Play it like the octave up, right? Play a higher E power chord because then those will layer together better and it won't get as muddy sounding. Also, good way to make sure the left and right aren't sounding muddy together, especially if you have the exact same effects on both guitars, is literally just swap whether like the pickups, just swap the pickups. Have one be bridge pickups and the other be neck pick pickups. And that will already make a tonal difference enough to really make your guitar sound overall bigger. So besides power chords, what else can we do in the course? And this is really where if, let's say your main instrument was acoustic guitar, you can replace some of these next parts with piano or with synths, especially if you want it to not sound like rock. If you have all of these parts be guitar, the tendency is it's going to sound more like rock. If you have a mix and match where you have maybe power chords that are guitar, but everything else is synths, then maybe it's going to sound a little bit more pop rock or something. So again, based on your sound, feel free to mix this up, but we're going to talk in the context of guitar. Lead parts. So when I say lead parts, I don't want you to get intimidated and think I'm talking about solos and you know crazy stuff that you, you need to be a really competent electric guitarist for. In fact, I'm not even going to ask you to be able to do scales because I think that you can pick one string and do a fine enough lead part just on one string because lead parts can be really, really simple. What is a lead part? Well, really all it is to me is a really basic, sort of like a melody, right? It's a melody for your guitar. And it can be a very simple melody. It doesn't have to be this solo that's going everywhere and is the highlight of the song, right? Because somebody's gonna be singing during this part, there's power chords, there's a bunch of other instruments. So it's just adding a basic melody. So something that simple, right, just repeated over and over again, would be what I would consider something like a lead part. Yeah, that was with the piano sound, but you, you get the idea, right? Really very simple. It's just sort of a little melody, a little hook to be sort of off in the ether that maybe on the third time listening to a song after people have started to like get used to just hearing the vocal and, the, and so they're starting to pay attention to other parts of the song, they hear that and they're like, oh, oh, that's, that's kind of interesting. So having simple parts like that is the next thing, I think, to layer in. It can be really simple. It can be a three-note pattern. Right? Super simple. And you may say, Joseph, that's basic and boring. 
and you'd be right on its own, right? But this isn't the vocal melody. During this time, you know, those power chords, the song just got bigger, you're singing hopefully interesting lyrics, you're singing hopefully an interesting melody. This is not the highlight of the song, right? Again, it's not a solo. It doesn't need to be super interesting. Just having movement at all can be interesting. So it doesn't need to be something that can carry the weight of the song because it's not being asked to carry the weight of the song. So feel free to keep this super simple. Play it on one string with one finger, just literally sliding your finger up and down on one string. If you're, again, and if you're good at soloing and all that, great, great, go for it, right? What I'm saying though is if you're somebody who's just starting with the guitar, you picked up the guitar, you started songwriting two months ago and you picked up the guitar with it and you're like, Joseph, I can't do it. Yes, you can, right? Because again, super simple, one string, one um, finger, just move up and down. And, you know, keep practicing things until you come up with something that fits. Can be super simple. In fact, I've done it that way many times before. Uh, I do it less now that I'm a, a bit of a better guitarist, but back in the day, that's absolutely what I did. That's the type of parts that I added. And you know what? It still added a lot to the song. So totally cool to do that. All right, last thing for guitars, arpeggios. Arpeggios are super underappreciated in the context of an arrangement, in my opinion, uh, because they add a lot of movement where there otherwise isn't. So if we think of a power chord that's just held out, and yes, I know this is piano, but same idea, right? That's really not adding that much, right? There's one transient just at the beginning, right? It's fine. It gives the harmonic context for you to sing over, but there's not movement to it, right? Because it's just one thing. There's no, there's no movement here. But what arpeggios do is they add movement. Right? That's just a basic arpeggio for a G major chord, or... And just minor rhythmic differences can make a huge difference, right? So if you just do... There's not much energy to that, right? It's kind of methodical, a little thoughtful. And it's super simple, right? This is literally just a basic G chord. which is very different than, that sounds very different than, or, right? So all the exact same notes, but the amount of energy that you can dial up and dial back just based on how you play arpeggios, you know, the difference between, The difference between that and, right? The last one's really building energy. So arpeggios can be a great hack to really build energy in certain parts. You know, if you have a chorus and you start with, right, it's just sort of going along. And then you want to really build energy in the chorus for the highlight of it, then you go. Right? 
that ending part. But you, you get the idea, right? There was clearly an energy build there. And again, you may say, Joseph, that sounds super boring. Yes. Yes. That's the beauty of it, though, is you can do something that sounds boring. And in the context of your arrangement, because, again, this is just one part in the many parts there are, it will add a lot because really the purpose of the arpeggios is really sort of just to dial up and back energy. That's mostly their purpose. And let's, because we're talking about guitars, right? And I know that I didn't play that with guitar, but let's, let's help you specifically with guitar. Different options here. You can use power chords. Don't use the same power chords you did before, though. But with a power chord... Right, you essentially have, if you do a three note power chord, you have the first, the fifth, and then the octave first again. So you can literally just do. That's an arpeggio. And again, you say, Joseph, this point, yep, yep. <laughs> but in the context, it can work. Or maybe it's. Right? We've been through those, right? So. Don't do it with the same pitch range, though, that you did with the power chords. You want to spread out the pitch range with all the things you're doing. So let's say you're a really beginner guitarist, and you're like, well, you know, I already have my four layers of power chords. I did the low E, and then I did the higher version of the power chord. So I'm starting to sort of run out of power chords to use, and I already have a lead part. Where do I do the arpeggios? Which actually brings up something I missed. For the lead parts, highly recommend using the top two strings mostly. And really, ideally, you have one that's more centered on maybe that second highest string, your B string, and one more on the E string. Because again, you want the pitch range to be separate. The more stuff you have crowded together, the more muddy it sounds. So you want to spread out the pitch range. So your power chords are probably mostly using your bottom three strings or you're next to the bottom three strings. You want your lead parts to be on the higher end of things. Or middle, right? Maybe one in the middle, one in some of your middle strings, maybe your D string, and then one on your centered around, I should say, centered around your E string, your highest string. So again, if you're a competent guitarist and you're, I shouldn't say competent. If you're a good guitarist, you're good at soloing, you're more of a lead guitarist than just a rhythm guitarist, of course you can ignore what I'm saying in the for the string thing, right? I'm mostly talking about if you're gonna do the like, play a solo on one string because you're sort of a beginner with guitar, then think of it like strings. Otherwise, if you're a really good guitarist, just think, have a, a really high part and a middle part, stuff like that. So for arpeggios, especially if you're a beginner, the easy thing to do is do the open chord version of it and just pick three, four strings and do a picking pattern. That's it. So just pick the open chord version of it. So your standard open G chord, G major chord, your A minor chord, whatever. And then just pick maybe the three or four strings to arpeggiate over, and that's a great place to start. Bonus thing here, probably you want your second verse to have some of these guitar parts because you want your second verse to have built from your first verse. So I'm mostly talking about the guitars you want to build out in your chorus, but some of these should carry over into your verse. So for example, 
might be very common. Your first verse starts with just acoustic guitar. And then in your first chorus, the power chords come in. There's more, two more chords doing arpeggios. And then there's two more guitars doing basic lead parts. So then in your second verse, it goes back to acoustic guitar, which probably has been playing throughout, but no more power chords probably, but you might keep one of the lead guitars doing something lead-like. And you might keep one of the arpeggio guitars, or you might drop everything except for one lead guitar, and then halfway through the second verse, bring back one of the guitars that's playing some form of arpeggio. It's probably gonna be different, because you, you do want it to be different than the chorus, right? You want it to sound different than the chorus, and you probably have a different chord progression than the chorus. Um, but predominantly, these guitars build out the chorus first, and then from there, you can make sure that the rest of the song has intrigue in the right places by, you know, bringing in and out instruments. But the main idea here is if you build out the chorus, you've built out the part of the song with max energy with the most instruments. So then from there, you just basically are taking instruments away in the other parts of the song rather than trying to figure out more instruments to add. So that was the biggest one to talk about. That was the most complex one. So ho hopefully you're still tracking with me. But the basic thing is you have your main instrument, and then you have probably at least two guitars doing power chords. And then you have at least one or two guitars maybe doing basic lead parts, which again, the, the, just to clarify the difference, because it can, it can be a little bit vague between arpeggios and lead parts. Arpeggios are generally just broken up chords. Now, if you go by the strict definition, usually it's that it has to like all go up or all go down, so. That's like the truest of true arpeggios. But basically an arpeggiated chord is just any chord. Let's bring that up a little bit. So that's G major chord again. Basically, if you just break it up and play notes individually. Arpeggio. Lead parts might have non-chord tones, whereas arpeggios are generally, it's exactly just the notes of the chord just broken up. So a lead part might be something really simple like Right, those, those are not all chord tones. I played everything from a D up to an A. And although that would have been in the key of C because I'm pretty sure I hit an F and not an F sharp. Regardless, think lead part as a basic little melody and arpeggios just broken up chords. That's all the difference is. And also leads are generally meant, again, for sort of a melodic purpose. It's a little melody, a little hook that somebody could have their ear catch on to, whereas arpeggios are generally just adding energy or dialing back energy and sort of adding to the vibe of the song. And again, these are general generalities, right? You can also have things that are sort of a hybrid between a lead and an arpeggio. There's not a strict line between the two. Bass. The beauty of bass is if you're a guitarist, you can play basic bass parts by default. So just to, to clarify and to make sure I'm not accidentally insulting any bass guitarist out there, I do want to make this very clear. And some, some people also might not understand this, understandably so. Because uh, until you work with a bass guitarist, I think it's easy to take bass for granted. Um, but a true bass guitarist 
can do much more with a song generally than say a basic rhythm guitarist is going to do with the bass part. They can do really cool stuff. Bass guitar is not just poor man's guitar. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not true. A lot of people seem to think that, right? Like I feel like people think like, oh, they failed out of electric guitar school. So they picked up bass. That's not true at all. I understand why people think that, um, but that's not true. But it is true that you can get a passable bass part as a guitarist without any real training. Because all you're doing is you're picking for, say, the power chords you would have, just play the lowest note. That's it. And again, that's not going to be as interesting a bass part as a bass guitarist can probably get you. But at least for a starting place, all you do is whatever chord is playing, just play the root note. So if your chord progression is, uh, let's say it's C, F, G, right? For your bass part, just C, F, G. C, F, G. That's it. Just pick the root note. Whatever the name of the chord is, play that note. And you know what? You can even go one step simpler and not even do a basic rhythm, right? Because you can do... Or you can keep it really simple and just hold C, hold F, hold G, and that's it. Now what I recommend is mixing this up because this is sort of like arpeggios where it's a, a place to add energy. Maybe in the verses you just have it held out. And let's assume it's the same chord progress. Actually, let's assume one, five, six, four in the chorus <laughs> because we can. Then it might go to. Never heard that chord progression before, right? <laughs> but, you know, so you can just add energy just by, you know, in the verses, maybe you just hold the notes or maybe you do. you know, some rhythm in the chorus and then a different rhythm in the verses. So just basically changing up the rhythm can go a long way. Stick with the root notes to start. If you want to make it sound a little more interesting, what you can do is pick the third or the fifth of the chord. So for example, you have a C major chord. It doesn't sound very good down there. There we go. A C major chord. I told you to use the root. That would be the C. But you can also use the third, which would be the E, or the fifth, which would be your G. And you can play those in the bass instead. So for example, we had a, whoop, went down too far. We had a one, four, five progression, which is C, F, G. Well, we could instead play the third for that C major chord, which would be E. That way we can get stepwise motion in our bass line. And instead we have, So instead we have this. Nope. Let's do it higher so it sounds less muddy. Right? That's a little more interesting then. At least to my ears. Doesn't that sound a little bit more interesting? It's a little more interesting than... Right? That's a little more interesting. So... Try changing it up that way. 
just changing whether you're using the third or the fifth from the chord instead of just using the one would be the bonus thing to change it up a little bit. Try messing around with that. Try to make a bass line that's a little more interesting by throwing in a third once in a while or a fifth once in a while. So your bass part is probably going to be more or less throughout the song, right? Sure, it might be out for the first half of the first verse or the first verse and only come in until the first chorus or not come in until the second verse. But generally speaking, unlike the electric guitars, which a bunch are probably going to come in for the chorus and then a bunch are probably going to drop out for the verses, probably, uh, especially the power chords, those are usually going to drop out. Unless you're doing a form of rock music, then probably not. But um, if you're not doing rock music, that's probably the case. Bass is going to be throughout. So as I said before, just to cover, make sure we're covering our bases here, you do want to make sure that you're changing up the rhythm of it to keep it interesting, right? So just because you're playing bass throughout the song doesn't mean you need to be doing throughout the song, right? Maybe in the chorus it can be... Change up the rhythm a little bit. Lastly is drums, right? Because at this point, we have our main instrument recorded, which might be piano, might be an acoustic guitar, or it might be an electric guitar. And then we have our other electric guitars that are really meant to build out the chorus. And at this point, we have all these different layers, and then we have the bass. So if you think of a traditional band, all that's left is drums. And, and my real recommendation here is if you are not a drummer, get a drummer uh, to do this for you. Because it's sort of an art in and of itself to learn how to write a decent-sounding drum part and program one. I don't think it's that hard, uh, but if you don't want to put the effort in, I have... My, my first recommendation is just get a drummer. Because... And I don't mean like, you know, get a drummer that you're paying. But like if you have a friend who plays drums and you say, hey, you want to like, I'm recording a three song EP maybe. Uh, you want to play drums on the songs? And they say, yeah, sure. That is going to be the easiest way to go if you want to have good drum parts if you are not a drummer. If you are a drummer, you already know what you're doing here. And <laughs> you don't even need to listen to this part probably. But for most of us, right, most of us are pianists or guitarists. And probably most of us don't play drums and maybe don't even know much about drums, right? We, we know what a hi-hat is and what a kick is and what a snare is. But drums, like bass, might be something that in the past we've taken for granted, which, by the way, drums is another thing. Um, it's easy to take for granted until you have a drummer who knows what they're doing, work on your song, and then they come up with something you never would have even imagined and you certainly didn't hear in your head and you're like, wow, you just made the song a lot better and I never would have imagined that drums could make that big of a difference. Um, that was at least my experience. So if you underappreciate drummers, for now, just take my word and then get your drummer friend to help you out. But, um, so first recommendation, <laughs> just have somebody else do it. On that, let's hit specifically if you're recording what I recommend you do. And use an electric drum kit is my recommendation. And while we're at it, let's, let's cover all the instruments. Acoustic guitar, use a mic. Piano, 
if you have a weighted keyboard, that's 88 keys especially, so like a nice $300 Yamaha keyboard, if you have one of those, just use the MIDI cable and use a VST or plug-in online. There's plenty of free piano plugins that sound great because then you don't have to deal with the pain in the butt that is miking a piano and making sure that you know everybody's quiet in the house and the dogs don't move around to ruin the recording and you don't you don't have to worry about any of that cuz it's just midi it's just information you can fix it later so if you hit a note at the wrong time you can even shift it over so much easier sounds good you don't have to worry about your piano being in tune that's the way to go unless you have access to a great fancy studio that has a grand piano and it's already mic that's different right but if you're your average person recording at home highly recommend get like a $300 Yamaha you know a, like a decent keyboard with weighted keys and a pedal and use your MIDI cable plug it into your audio interface that hopefully you have uh, if not you can get great audio interfaces now for like 100 bucks that will have a, a MIDI input. And actually they have MIDI cables that go right to USB, so you don't even need that. So you literally can just plug your keyboard right into your computer. Um, electric guitar, do direct line in. There's gonna be a lot of people out there that tell you not to do that and it doesn't have the right sound. Like they'll talk about like amps still sound better than the fake amps that you can use as plugins. And you'll notice that in the last five years, even the professionals, have started going away from that. And they're starting to admit, yeah, we use just a guitar plug-in here and we did direct line-in. They're, they're starting to even admit it. So guitar amp plugins have come a long way. If you get like Amplitube, for example, Amplitube is great. Uh, what I've done, and for the record, when we did this back in the day with my band, I, not joking, the person that we ended up having mix our song, the professional we had mix our song, literally did not believe me when I told him, no, we direct lined in our guitars. He said they sound every bit as good. And he was a person who didn't believe in direct line inning guitars. And he literally didn't believe me for the longest time. And then he's like, well, can you give me how you did this? Uh, which I don't say to be like, oh, look, we're so great. We're not. <laughs> I only tell you this to tell you that this was literally like 10 years ago now, almost 10 years ago. I was 20, so eight years ago, nine years ago, something like that, too long ago. And in nine years, they've come even further. And what we did, Amplitube, which is a VST plugin to use, and then we used Kefer, it's like, or Kefer, K-E-F-I-R, I believe it is. And then you download... Um, cabinet samples because the one thing that have historically not been as good and sound sort of fake are the cabinets the amps sound good the fake amps you know the vst plug-in amps sound pretty good but specifically the cabinets tend to not sound as real so get real cabinet impulses if you just google like cabinet impulse download put that into kfer basically use amplitude bypass the cabinet part of amplitude and then use Kefer, Kefer, I don't know how you pronounce it. Or maybe there, there's probably a much better one out now. I, I mean, again, this is from nine years ago. I just keep using it because if it's not broken, don't fix it, right? Um, and it still sounds great, so I just keep using it. But use that, download some cabinet impulses, boom. You got a great electric guitar sound. Bass guitar, this is something that the professionals in real studios have been direct line inning 
bass guitars since forever. So unlike electric guitars where they're finally starting to admit that they're doing it and that they sound as good as real amps, which no person in that space wants to admit because they're all like gear junkies. So none of them want to admit when the electronic stuff has caught up with the really, really expensive stuff that they spent thousands and thousands of dollars on. So that's why the industry is a little slow to admit these things. But bass guitar, they've admitted that for forever, right? Like it's just the better way to go. So the only thing you really need to mic is your acoustic guitar, basically. Drums is something else that would be a giant pain to mic. Don't mic them. Don't try. Don't mic a drum kit. Again, unless you have a fancy studio, totally changes it, then maybe go ahead. But even that, half the time, even professional recordings, they take the kick drum specifically is one they very often do this with. And they actually replace the kick drum sound in the real recorded drum kit with a sample, which is the same thing as just doing MIDI drums. My one caveat here is I will say hi-hats still don't sound perfect in as, as far as, you know, using superior drummer or something. The high, the 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 symbols just still don't quite sound right, and some of the hi hat nuances are imperfect. Um, they've come a long way though; they sound great. They're certainly going to sound a lot better than what most of us are going to be able to do with miking a real drum kit. So if you can get a cheap electronic drum kit, and then you again you can edit individually. There's no bleed, right? When you Hit the kick drum, it's just information. You can shift it over later. There's no audio that like, oh, well, they hit the kick in the snare at weird times and the sounds interfered with each other so I can't move it without it sounding weird. None of that because it's all in electronic information. Anyway, I know that was a longer tangent, but that should be helpful specifically if you are recording. Uh, for the record, not only are these my recommendations, this is exactly what I do. This is exactly what I do. So if you've ever looked at my channel with my old, because not, not really any of the new stuff is up, but some of my old songs from back in college, literally the album I'm talking about where we did this nine years ago is, is up on YouTube if you want to check out sort of how it sounds. It's imperfect, um, but a part of that's mixing and some of our arranging choices and uh, more of the stories. If you do this again today, it will sound pretty good. So drums. If you don't have a drummer that you can have come in and you don't have a MIDI drum kit for them to play, which, by the way, you can have them just program the drums instead or help you program the drums to be realistic, something you can do is just listen to a song that sort of fits the vibe of your song and literally listen to the drum part and try to copy it. For the record, drum parts are not copyrightable. When you copyright a song, the drum part's not copyrightable. And if you think, like, oh, how can that be? Just think, like, if you could copyright four to the floor, which is just, like, the kick drum going dun, 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 right there. That's all it is. Then, like, literally every electronic song in the past 20 years, and yes, that's, that's hyperbole, right? That's obviously not true. And a lot of non-electronic songs do it, too. But, like, half of all music over the last 20 years would be paying royalties to somebody, right? You can't copyright drum parts, generally. So you can literally straight up copy something from your favorite song. I don't necessarily recommend doing that, right? You want to change it up a little bit, but at least as a starting place, if you just listen to your favorite song and then move around the MIDI information, drag it around until your drum part that you're programming sounds kind of like that, and then use that as a starting place. And then from there, change it up. 
is a great place to start. Or of course you can go to YouTube videos or whatever to teach you how to program drums. I'm sure there's plenty of videos out there about that. You can go check those out. But again, my first recommendation is if you can get a real drummer to come in and record drums, it gives, it just brings a little bit of a different perspective to your song. And I, I think breathes some fresh air into it because, you know, for a lot of us, like in my case, right, it's me alone writing all of these parts. So then I have somebody come in to just add a little bit of a vision that isn't mine with the drums is like the perfect way to add a little bit of freshness to a song. Because, uh, you know, after a while, when it's just you, uh, you know, it, it's good to have one creative vision. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But sometimes it helps to just get another pair of eyes. And drums is the perfect place to do that for a lot of us because, like I said, if you're a guitarist, you kind of get all the other parts for free, right? If you play acoustic guitar, you get electric guitar for free. It's the same instrument. It's just electric, right? And that's a ton of the parts. And then you can at least play basic bass parts if you're a guitarist. In fact, even if you're not, I'd argue if you just have any musical skill at all, you can at least make a decent workable bass part, right? It's not really going to be a true bass part and any real bass guitarist would scoff at the bass part and say it's super boring and pedestrian and they'd probably be right. Uh, but frankly, a lot of songs do have really basic bass parts, right? A lot of songs do have... I don't know why that sounded weird, but you know what I'm saying. So, overall... Let's do a quick overview. You have your main instrument. This is probably going from beginning to end. This is probably an instrument that you want to concentrate on specifically being interesting in the verses when it's really going to have to carry a lot of the weight of the song. It's going to be possibly the only instrument besides your voice going, so you want it to be a fairly interesting part. You want to have probably layers of electric guitars in your chorus, specifically power chords, lead parts, and arpeggios are three parts to go to, which also, by the way, if you feel that power chords add too much power to your song or too much rockness to your song, just drop those and just do arpeggios instead. That's it. Real simple. Or just do lead parts. Do multiple lead parts. That's fine, too. Or a mix of arpeggios, lead parts. doesn't really matter. But those are three different parts to go to, um, but feel free to cut out, out any that don't fit with your specific style. You have bass guitar which is probably going to go more or less beginning to end. You can always just do the roots of the chords, and that will work. Change it up with thirds or fifths of the chords. Can make it a little more spicy, a little more interesting. And then drums, you can program from something that has a similar vibe to your song. Keep adjusting it until it sounds right. Or you can just try programming yourself without going to another song. Or, of course, go to, say, a YouTube video that teaches you specifically how to do that from people that actually do that. Admittedly, I have programmed really basic drums like twice. It's not really my forte. It's just not something I'm really interested in doing personally because I know people who play drums. And I actually really like getting another person to come in and just a little bit of a different vision uh, to add to the song. And frankly, every drummer I've ever known will always come up with a better drum part than I would once in a while, I'll dictate like, hey, the first, like do what you want with the rest or, you know, maybe, uh, you, you know, the chorus uh, doesn't really fit with the vibe. Can you try something a little bit more like this? You know, I might give tips like that, but for the most part, 
uh, you'd be really surprised how much a drummer can can add to your song if you just kind of let them go. Uh, so again, highly recommend that, but hey, otherwise you can program your own drums, use MIDI information. And again, drum kits, this is another, you know, you can spend a decent amount of money to get something that sounds really great, like Superior Drummer, uh, or I think Tune Track, or is Tune Track Superior Drummer? I don't really remember. Um, there's other ones out there. You can just Google what the best ones are. There are also free ones out there. There's really free of all these things out there. You know, if you need Amplitude for guitars, for example, yeah, it's like 300 bucks, I think. You don't want to spend that? Okay. There are cheaper alternatives out there that sound at least close to as good. There might be free alternatives that don't sound that great, but hey, still sound better than if you mic your amp in your basement, maybe. But feel free to play around with it. Similar with drums, you know, Superior Drummer sounds fantastic, but it's like 300 bucks. You don't want to spend that money. That's totally fine. There are other ones out there that sound decent, at least. I know that was a lot. Hopefully this was helpful to you. If it was, or if any of the other podcasts have been helpful to you, if you could leave a kind review on iTunes or Spotify, because Spotify has reviews now as well, that would be deeply, deeply appreciated. Help me keep the rating at above 4.5 stars. It's right now at 4.5 stars because we got a, a hater recently. And if you're wondering, Joseph, what do you mean by hater? Hater is what I would define as like the one star people, right? If somebody gives like three stars and has like a nuanced take of like, well, it wasn't super helpful to me, but I could see how somebody else could find it helpful. Or like, I didn't really like his personality or the way he talked about this thing, but you know, three and two stars and four stars, like eh, those people are putting thought into it and nuance. But generally speaking, if you're putting one star on pretty much anything, unless it's total garbage, like that is not a, you're, you're just kind of a hater, right? You're, it's like me with Taylor Swift, right? <laughs> I had one star Taylor Swift, but I'm just a hater. She shouldn't care what I think, right? Um, so anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, if you have found this podcast helpful, if you want to help me out, a great way to do that is to leave a kind review on iTunes, on Spotify. If you could give it five stars, help help keep that at 4.5 stars and above so that more people can see that and give this podcast a chance. And hopefully, you know, the longer I do this, the better I'm going to get at it, the better I'm going to get at teaching you the right things, the better I'm going to get at teaching things, right? I know not every podcast is going to be good, as good as the next. Of course, I always try to make sure I crush it with every podcast. But look, you do like, I think there's like 168 of these. Uh, they're not all going to be equally helpful, unfortunately. But the best way for us to grow is to keep going, right? So anyway, all to say, I appreciate every single one of you who has left a kind review. It really is encouraging to me, especially especially on those weeks where you get the hater and you feel really bad about yourself. Seeing the kind words that some of you have said uh, help, helps me through those days where, you know, may, maybe you let the, the hater get to you for a second or you let that one... Uh, commenter that is uh, has a certain attitude to get to you. And those of you that are really kind really help on those days. So I really appreciate you on a personal individual level for doing that. Um, also, if you haven't already, just as a reminder, the free guide, songwritertheory.com slash free guide, great way to get started with songwriting, great way to make sure to keep your creativity flowing. It's the same type stuff I do to make sure that I'm constantly feeling creative. If I do piano riffs for months and months and I start to feel like, man, I can't come up with any piano riff, sometimes I just need to sit with the bass guitar. Sometimes I just need to start with 
looking at some art and trying to figure out an interesting image or an interesting sentence, like whispers of angels. Ooh, what does that mean? And I'm into Doctor Who. So to me, I see the sort of the weeping angels as this dark angel concept and whispers. What's that all about? Right. That's actually a real example. I have a song called Whispers of Angels, and that is how it started. Right. I start with like, ooh, the, 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 the angels in Doctor Who are really cool. Anyway, that type of thing, super helpful, at least to me. Hopefully it's helpful to you as well. You want to learn about that, songwritetheory.com slash free guide. Link in the description. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your kind reviews. Thank you for those of you who shoot me emails, um, which I have some emails to catch up on. So if you sent me an email recently, don't worry. I will get to it. Um, just, you know, sometimes I have to be recording podcasts and videos and I will get to it though. I appreciate all of those emails. A lot of you send me super kind, awesome emails. Some of you have been encouraging in emails. Some of you talk about how the podcast has helped you and you tell like a, a little bit of your story. I love all that. Uh, so if any of you are like, man, is it inconveniencing him? No, it's not. I, I really appreciate every email. Uh, so don't think that at all. So if you've been on the fence about emailing me, but you wanted to email me about something, do it. Cool? Awesome. Thank you for spending time with me today. I know this ended up being an extra long one. Hopefully, though, it was chock full of useful information. I appreciate you, and I will talk to you next week. <laughs>